Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. What are we doing? That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. Hello! Welcome to the third episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. I'm your host, Colby Marie. Welcome, good morning, all of you beautiful beings, you wondrous wisps of whimsy. Uh, how are you all doing today? I uh, hope this day finds you exactly how it needs to. If it's challenging, I hope it's challenging in all the right places. If it's joyous, I hope it's delightful in all the right places. If it's sad, I hope that you're able to take some time and tend your sadness and your grief and just be with whatever's coming up today for you. So welcome. Uh, This is the third episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast, and I feel really delighted to be able to say that today. Um, I have worked... For a little over a year to get ready to release this podcast, to launch the website, to start the YouTube channel, to write blogs. I've had to learn a lot of skills. I've had to, had a lot of failures, just, just a tremendous amount of failing, just so much wondrous, appropriate failing, because when we learn something new, we fail. Then we learn a little more and then we fail again. And so welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you to all of my new patrons. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. So many emotions this week. Um, Feeling a lot of gratitude and joy about persevering getting this podcast to release. I just finished the website. That is out, www.turningofthebones.com. I had to learn a bit about website development. I am doing this by myself over here, so everything you see, um, except for the beautiful art, the triangle in my graphic was done by a wonderful artist out of Boulder who I would love to have on this podcast someday. His name is Wancho. If you go to uh, Wancho Art, O-N-E-C-H-O Art, just some really beautiful visual expressions of energy and emotion and feeling. And uh, felt so honored when he offered to do a little bit of art for this podcast. So give that a look. I've been over here working, and uh, yeah, I feel a lot of gratitude, a lot of resilience and uh, appreciation for all the moments that led me here, the uh, challenging and joyous and everything in between, the grief, the pain, 
the growth, um, all that stuff. So it's, yeah, it's been a really big week, hasn't it? The Derek Chauvin verdict was released, and I think there was a sense of relief for a lot of people that um, systems of power are starting to move in the right direction to hold people accountable for their actions. Um, and so some a lot of feelings there, and then I think within an hour, we found out about uh, Makia Bryant, um, just heartbreaking story of a 14-year-old uh, who was shot by a police officer in Columbus. Um, and I think just taking a moment here to just acknowledge that loss of life that a young human a young black human at the beginning of her life um, who I don't know a ton about her life but I did read that she was in foster care and I used to work in treatment facilities who worked with teenagers um, in foster care and um, yeah, it was just really a heartbreaking, heartbreaking thing that, uh, needs to be grieved and looked at, um, and maybe down the road I will have a podcast that addresses, um, policing and guns, um, But I just can't think of a reason, having worked in treatment facilities and been trained in de-escalation techniques and worked with teenagers who um, became unsafe to themselves and others to varying degrees, um, I can't imagine a world in which um, it's okay or understandable that somebody would shoot one of those teenagers four times. Um, it's just not right, and my heart goes out to the black community, um, and I just want to say here, this is really, um, for the white people listening, we need to get to work, and um, just because Derek Chauvin was convicted, his sentencing isn't out, and um, there's still more work to do for police reform, whether that's defunding the police or abolishing the police or somehow reworking the systems of first responders to unilaterally include mental health providers um, because whatever training the police officers have received just isn't working, um, period. Um, I can't think of a time in which I helped a teenager de-escalate, and I've experienced teenagers with knives and scissors. Um, I can't imagine a world in which it's okay to shoot them. Um, but yet, that's where we find ourselves, so I'd like to just take a moment of silence for that young life before I jump back into the podcast today. So thank you for tuning in. Um, thank
Thank you for your support of this podcast. If you're just showing up, you can uh, go back to the first podcast. This is a short little series that just has kind of developed on the topic of fear. And yeah, still seeing where this podcast is going. It's still growing, still evolving. I'm looking forward to having one of my friends come on, and hope, hopefully a couple of other friends to talk about how they've um, dealt with fear. So here's some of their stories. Here's some of the ways that they work with fear um, when it comes up in their life, because it's just one of those inescapable things. It's a it's an emotion that all of us have experienced to varying degrees, um, whether we've experienced fear from a real and eminent threat or if We've experienced imagined fears projecting outcomes into the future based on real or false evidence. Either way, if you've uh, experienced anxiety, this is a topic that's really relevant for you. And I know for me, I've struggled with anxiety most of my life. Um, I've learned how to live with it. And I feel like I'm in a really good place with that and my mental health right now, today, sitting in this chair. Um, I feel like I'm able to experience complex feelings and emotions, which is a really wonderful gift of years of therapy and trial and error and uh, seeing what works and what doesn't for me. Um... And I feel like that's a real gift. And so today on the podcast, I think we're going to kind of move towards, we're going to move a little bit away from the the real fear side of things. You know, when something awful happens, it's terrifying, you're under threat, um, you're in a crisis. We're going to move away from that a bit, and we're going to kind of focus on uh, this idea of imagined fears and anxiety, because a lot of the physiological and responses, excuse me, a lot of those responses in our bodies are identical, like I talked about, you know, your your brain releases neurotransmitters um, and neurochemicals to get your body ready to to stay alive, Um, and when we're feeling anxiety, um, our brain is quite often releasing a lot of those same chemicals. So if there's a Venn diagram in the middle, you know, fear is on the left and anxiety is on the right, where the Venn diagram overlaps, there are a lot of shared characteristics between fear and anxiety. And if you don't know what a a Venn diagram is, a Venn diagram is basically two circles that overlap. And on one side, you put the things that are unique to one of the circles, put things that are unique to the other topic and the other circle, and then in the middle where they overlap, you put the shared characteristics. And so anxiety really is, um, it's like a general feeling of, uneasiness it's a response to an unknown threat so um, it can be imagined it can be an internal conflict it can be uh, 
you can feel anxious um, when you're experiencing cognitive dissonance. Um, and cognitive dissonance is when you're doing something that is out of alignment with what you know to be true. And I think the most easy example of this is, for me anyways, is smoking cigarettes. Like I know smoking cigarettes increases my risk of getting cancer, emphysema. I watched my grandmother die from lung cancer, and so I would feel a little anxious every time I had a cigarette because I knew that what I was doing wasn't good for me. Um, another example of cognitive dissonance is when we lie. Um, um, we feel this kind of internal conflict, like we may be getting what we want from lying. And so part of us feels good and then we know that we just did harm by not being truthful to somebody else and so we feel bad and that's kind of the internal conflict that's an example of an internal conflict um, and it's a little bit different than fear because fear is uh, like there is like an external danger in your environment um, you know if I'm crossing the street and somebody runs a red light and they're coming at me I experience fear if I leave the house and I'm worried about getting hit by a car, that's probably, and I'm, I'm thinking about it, my brain's generating that feeling, that's a little bit closer to anxiety. And um, anxiety can be crippling. It can lead to panic attacks. It can stem from um, a really traumatic event or a series of traumatic events or having grown up in a traumatic environment. Um, adult children of alcoholics often experience um, just kind of low levels of anxiety. Um, and it's a really unpleasant, <laughs> it's like vague sense of like dread or apprehension, like something is about to go wrong. And if you've ever felt it, it's, it's horrible. It's like you're kind of, you're waiting for something to jump out at you or, you know, like, one of my biggest anxieties in my 20s um, and before I I knew that I had anxiety one of my biggest fears was um, that I was gonna have a heart attack um, I was fairly healthy you know I was mid 20s I was 25 27 um, I smoke and drank a lot um, this is before I knew that I had anxiety and so I was using alcohol to cope with my anxiety and um, right like down down the road fast forward a couple years and I'm in therapy and my therapist says oh you know you're using alcohol to medicate yourself but it actually it's like the snake eating its tail. It's just, it's gonna, it's a cycle. It'll go on because you drink and then you wake up more anxious the next day because your serotonin levels are higher. Um, your brain forgets how to create dopamine, so you drink again. And it's just a horrible cycle of just perpetuated anxiety. Um, so my biggest fear back then, were, it, was, it was kind of two things, and it, it ties back into one of those five fears that I mentioned last week. Um, I was afraid of not existing and so I had this existential panic um, anytime I was at alone um, that 
I would kind of, uh, I would have a heart attack and die, and no one could, no one would come. Just me on the floor. These are my last moments, completely alone and scared. Um, <laughs> I remember um, it, there was nothing funny about it when I was in it, but looking back on it, my sister and I had watched um, the show Unsolved Mysteries growing up, you know, just a couple of teenagers kind of trying to spook each other. And there was one episode um, about spontaneous human combustion. And I don't know how passionate you feel or how curious you feel at this moment. You could look that up or you couldn't. But there was this sh this unsolved mystery show. And <laughs> it would show these chairs that had just like caught on fire. And it's like, oh, Jim was sitting at home alone and watching The Price is Right, sipping on an old Milwaukee. Dun, 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 and then and then he spontaneously combusted and it's like there's no footage of Jim spontaneously combusting there's just the picture of a chair um, and my sister and I you know turned this into a huge joke um, as a way to kind of diffuse you know for me as a way to diffuse my fear about spontaneous human combustion but when I was really in the throes of my panic attacks and existential anxieties around not existing I was afraid that I would spontaneously combust and I would be as scared as you can be in a body I remember one one evening I was doing construction and I was alone finishing some work on this uh, this house in Denver and I was out back on the porch and then all of a sudden, you know, it was just, I was doing the things and all of a sudden just the thought, oh God, what if I have a heart attack? Heart rate, dun, 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 dun. my breath gets short, shallow, then I'm like, oh, what if I spontaneously human combust? And I remember I had to get this work done before the sunset for whatever reason, I don't remember why, but I was so terrified. Like, you couldn't have told me that that wasn't real. You know, there may as well have been a monster breathing over my neck saying, yep, I'm just going to eat you whenever I want. And I think that's a, that's, that was kind of my experience with anxiety. And um, your anxiety can come from environmental. Um, it can come from a specific event. Um it can come from your hereditary, it can be hereditary, your genetics. Um, but regardless, I, I was born with it, I experienced it most of my childhood. I didn't know what it was until I started going to therapy and seeking professional help for my mental well-being. Um, kind of when it just, like I just kind of hit rock bottom. I was like, I can't keep drinking to feel better about this because um, it got to the point where that existential anxiety would come up again when I went to bed and so what I would do is I would I would drink enough to pass out um, because I was so terrified of the nighttime because what if it happened during the nighttime and uh, yeah that was really kind of the beginning of my my focused work on my mental health that was my, was my first therapist um, they explained to me that 
this is like intergenerational. They did some family screening. They asked about my grandfather, um, who was a heavy, heavy drinker, who was a uh, fighter pilot, not a fighter pilot. He was a pilot in World War II um, in Europe um, and who had PTSD. Um, but in the 50s, the way you dealt with that was you yelled at kids and you drank whiskey. Um, and every once in a while, when you were in a, a good one, you'd take them to a baseball game. Um, and so nothing disparaging about my grandfather. He was really doing the best he could. Um, but uh, it was intergenerational. And uh, if you if you want to look up or kind of look into intergenerational trauma, there's tons of writing out there about that. But that was kind of my first introduction into like, this wasn't something I had done wrong. I hadn't lived my life wrong, you know. There was a lot of guilt and shame around drinking for me. There was a lot of shame. But it was the first time that it kind of depersonalized it. It was like, no, you were the therapist. I remember working through this. It was like, you were set up for this, you know. Like, this was basically part of the, this is your genetic coding. Like, and so there are ways to work with it and there are ways to heal it. Um, and so starting, you know, my, my mid to late twenties, I, I began the process of working towards, um, healing and I'm 44 years old now. I still work on it every day. Um, there are things that I do every day to set myself up to be, um, mentally well to be able to handle challenging emotions like fear, um, anxiety when it arises, um, grief and sadness, um, and even joy, like letting myself be happy and let myself be okay. Like for a long time, I thought I wasn't okay to be okay. Like I didn't deserve it. You know, it's been so long afraid. I thought that's what I deserved somehow. And so if you felt anxiety, you know, your heart rate goes up. Um, sometimes people will feel like they think they're having a heart attack. Your heart chest gets really tight. Um, yeah, at the worst of mine, I was getting nerve. Uh, it was like uh, when your hand falls asleep, but I was getting it over my heart. Like I was having panic attacks so often that I would then, my chest would get so tight that I would have like nerve responses and I could have sworn I was going to die. So I ended up going to a doctor told me my heart was fine, said I'm having panic attacks. Um, and I, I started, uh, you know, at that point I really needed the support of, uh, pharmaceuticals to, to bridge, um, my ability to do the therapeutic work. I needed some support. I just needed, uh, some help. So I started taking, uh, there was an antihistamine, antihistamine at the time that they were prescribing for anxiety that didn't make you too drowsy because I was really afraid that uh, if I took something and was working around power tools that I, would, I wouldn't I would be safe. So I got something I'd take in emergencies and it really helped and then I was able to do more work with therapists around the source of my anxiety, around my lifestyle choices and how the things I ate and how I treated my body affected my mental health. Um, but yeah, you can kind of, if you have prolonged anxiety, you can feel 
disconnected. Um, you can sweat. Definitely feel like you're going a bit, bit insane. Um, it's exhausting. You're really fatigued. Um, and you breathe, you, you breathe shallowly. Um, can mess with your stomach. Um, it's like little kids, you know. They get so upset they vomit, or like um, get so scared they puke. That's definitely a thing. You can, I've had that. Um, and so, yeah, I had, you know, and continue to have a road ahead of me um, to to work with fear and to work with anxiety. Um, and there are lots of ways that I work with it. Um, like I mentioned that interpersonal dynamics quite frequently make me anxious still to this day. Um, you know, uh, and that's a really deep issue that I, I may be unpacking for the rest of my life. You know, I, I'm fully functional, can have jobs. I worked in public schools for years. Um, happy and joyful, had great times. You know, this isn't a story of just, you know, me kind of hiding out, but uh, it has been a challenge. I think tons of people are facing this, you know, and if uh, our brains can only handle so much. So like with this week's news, it's like, it's a normal response to kind of shut down and be overwhelmed when things are, are too overwhelming for how we've been taught. And so a big point of what I want to do in this podcast is help people get the skills that I realized while I was teaching that like none of us have, that, that we're not taught in high school. We get taught how to be good little producers, good little uh, pawns of capitalism. We get taught how to take tests but we don't get taught how to resolve conflict with other people. We don't get taught how to regulate our emotions. We don't get taught how to ask other people to help us co-regulate our emotions. Um, we don't get taught much of anything about mental health unless we can't function inside of the system. So when I was working in the treatment facility with children who'd experienced intense trauma, um, who were living in foster care, you know, we only treat those people when it's clinically diagnosable, but none of us learn how to do it. And then we can easily um, kind of live in these stories about about fear and about anxiety and I've mentioned my experience of being assigned male at birth and being raised with the social programming of being a man a white male um, most of the messaging I got was that it just wasn't okay to feel it um, you know starting at a very young age it was like no you lay in your bed until you get over it you know, if you're scared at night, you stay in bed. Um, and that wasn't like a unilateral thing I experienced. You know, I could sneak in and hide on the floor next to my mom. But like the, the larger messaging was that it's not okay to be afraid. And like that, that comes from traumatized people traumatizing others, right? Like 
my dad learned that from somebody. His dad learned that from somebody. And that gets into that intergenerational thing. It's passed on. Um, and so, yeah, something I'm hugely passionate about is sharing my stories so that we can normalize these human experiences and that we don't have to, you know, kind of look at marginalized communities, whether it's people we deem mentally ill or um, low income or black or indigenous or people of color. We don't, we don't make European white European values of don't talk about it we don't continue to let those be the norm right we don't continue to have our British colonial ancestry informing how we show up in the world now because we have new information and we have new skills um, but we have a lot of the old programming running in our brains you know our bodies right have pretty much not changed for the last 50,000 years um, and when you think about some of the social or psychological programming we have, and especially in this country where white is the norm, right? Even though we're, you know, allegedly the land of the free and diverse and everybody's welcome, like white is the norm. <clears throat> and these values of not talking about your feelings have become the norm. And so I, I feel super passionately like these are things we all experience we all experience complex emotions and it's okay to talk about them um, and my journey to this day has it's been uh, I can say that it's been really dynamic it hasn't always been easy um, but it's rich it's it's a full human experience you know we have a range of emotions and we get to have a full human experience and thinking about this now it's like how do we let our fears and our anxieties like how do they run our life um, like what what stories do we believe about them to be true um, like I knew for a long time that I believed the story that this was all my dad's fault. Like everything. Um, when I was younger, that was really easy to believe. Um, you know, complete source of all of my problems was the fact that I had an alcoholic uh, caregiver. Um, uh and I've come to learn that like that story while pieces of it like maybe um, you know like may have created the circumstances where it was highly likely that I felt fear had anxiety like that that went back further than him like he's there's no no reason to believe that he's fully responsible for it it's a societal thing and so I think the stories we believe about fear um, really shape how we navigate our own lives and how we navigate 
social issues, how we navigate our relationships with others. Um, I watched this really good TED Talk um, by Karen Thompson, who's a best-selling author. I don't, I wasn't familiar with her book, um, but it was called "What Fear Can Teach Us," um, and she she really highlighted like how our fears are stories and broke it down in a really, really neat way, like about how our fears have a plot. Um, you know, our fears, our internal fears have characters, you know. If you think about it, I don't know. How many times have you talked to someone who wasn't there in your head, right? Like, um, what's an example? Like at work, you know, you're dreading a conversation with your boss and you have this whole story about who your boss is that probably isn't based off of like that whole human's experience. Like it may be based off of interactions you've had with them, stories you've heard about from others, but you create this whole like plot of how it's going to go. You know, you run out, you run through the scenarios, um, trying to prepare yourself for a conversation you're afraid of. Um, you know, so our fears have plots, they play themselves out, um, they have settings, uh, they have characters, and like they really, what else did she say? Um, like as humans we love stories, like we're really, we're just, we're naturally evolved to receive information and lessons through stories, and our fears become stories that we live in. Um, like they're trying to predict the future they're trying to keep us safe and the interesting thing about that is like um, and if you've experienced this you may know what I'm talking about like I think I'm O for a billion like if this was a if I was a sports team I've never won a game about accurately predicting <laughs> the outcome of any of my anxieties. Um, challenging conversations with bosses have never gone the way that I thought they would. Um, I have like a zero success rate in predicting the future. <laughs> um, you know, I can get close, you know, like people do behave in patterns we love patterns we love to our brains like the predictability and the ease of like oh when I call my mom she'll be sweet to me when I talk to Jim at the hardware store he'll be a know-it-all and talk down to me because he thinks I'm stupid because I don't know which screw I need. Whatever, whatever the story is, like we have, uh, we, we there are patterns, right? Like, and so they're useful, and they can also hold us back. You know, I think um, we really, you know, it's. How do I say this?
we learn lessons from stories. Um, stories do serve a function, and they also can hold us back. You know, this is the challenging part of being a human. There can be joy and grief in the same week. It doesn't have to be a bad week because I felt bad at some point during this week. But if I believe the story that everything is fucked because I felt an uncomfortable and overwhelming emotion of pain and sadness, you know, if I create the story that then I had a bad week, I start believing incrementally that one emotion has more power than the other instead of saying I had a really complex week. <laughs> um, I had a really full week um, but I didn't have a bad week because a couple bad things happened um, I think one thing that was really cool about that TED talk um, that Karen Thompson gave was she gave the example of uh, there was a, a whaling boat I think it was called the, the Essex and basically it sank it was really far away from anywhere and the people in in the boat had like three options and you should go watch the ted talk by the way she does a much better job of laying this out than i'm doing it right now it just popped into my head so there's this whaling ship the whaling ship essex and it it sinks and people hop into the lifeboats um, probably mostly men uh, and they have limited rations right probably limited fresh water and they have uh, I think it was like three choices in front of them one of them was to probably go further than their rations would allow um, in their water and try and catch like a, a gulf stream or a wind like a current to take them to land uh, the other one was sailing to some other land that would make them have to go through oh it's really bad weather and the third one was there was a close island I think it was called Tahiti but they were afraid because of the stories they've heard that there were cannibals on that island. And right at the time, uh, the stories that they'd heard about cannibals were so terrifying, right? And these are all super racist, not informed on any kind of like respect. This is like super duper colonizer logic that like these indigenous people to Tahiti are just savages and they're going to kill them and eat them. And so they decided to take the long route to try to catch the winds, possibly run out of food and water, um, which they did. And they ended up eating one another. And that's an example right like each one of those outcomes had a story attached to it tied to a fear right the fear of not existing the fear of mutilation the fear of loss of autonomy right they probably were experiencing that deep panic because right you're stuck in the ocean and so 
You don't have a lot of autonomy if you're stuck in the ocean, right? And they could have sailed or rowed their boat all the way to Tahiti, which was closer, and they probably wouldn't have run out of food. But they didn't because they had a story. And the story they believed was that they would die horrible deaths at the hand of cannibals. Um, and so looking back on that now in 2020, you know, over a hundred some odd years of time, like we can see the faults in their logic, but we can, what I hope is that we can also see in ourselves, like where we believe things, you know, and it may not be, that they're cannibals but we can believe things that, that change the direction of our lives we can believe stories you know so I believed the story that I was going to die and so it changed the direction of my life it dro- I, I didn't drive home and ask my partner to hold me after I was standing outside terrified working construction that I was going to spontaneously combust I drove to a liquor store and probably got a shooter to, like, take the edge off, you know, because I didn't have uh, help from a therapist or medicine for how bad my panic attacks were. And so, like, this, this, this irrational fear that lived in a story that I could just die, you know, totally changed the course of years and years of my life, you know, I, I drank heavily for years, um, and I would steer my ship quite frequently to liquor stores, you know, and how did that impact my relationships, you know, how did that impact my, my, my work, my ability to pursue my goals and my dreams, Um, you know, I believed that there was an imminent threat, um, that wasn't there, you know, there, there wasn't evidence that I was going to have a heart attack that day. (laughs) Um, I was fairly healthy 27 year old. And so, yeah, just, I mean, I think we can all probably think of stories we believe about other people, right? Like, uh, that don't allow, like for me, um, contemporarily today, like what stories do I believe about other people that, um, are really as insidious as believing that they're cannibals on another island, you know? Like, do I believe that, um, other people aren't safe? You know, that's a story I've, I've, just all people, (laughs) um, that's a deep one, you know, like if I ask you to do something for me, or if I ask you to do something that I perceive to be inconvenient to you, like, am I afraid that you're going to rage at me? Like, is that, that's insidious because it doesn't like, it doesn't see the other person as a whole person. Um, I don't give somebody else their humanity in that and you know 
to go back to that story, you know, I, about uh, Makia, Makia Bryant, <clears throat> um, you know, I've seen in the news, like, people are like, oh, she had scissors, like, that makes it okay. Well, that's not, a, that's, that's a story you can believe that's actually harming other people. You know, it's causing harm to believe that in that case, it's okay, but Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, who walked down the street with a gun, um, didn't get shot, you know, like, you can believe stories that cause harm to other people, um, and so, like, how do we, I guess that raises the question, like, how do we work, how do we work with our fears, you know, how do we, how do we develop the ability to, like, contemplate and self-assess, you know, because, our own brains are like, <laughs> they're like one of the most beautiful tools we have and also one of our worst enemies. Um, you know, if you believe that talking to your ex is going to be awful uh, because you had one or two awful experiences before you broke up, like that's not, that's probably not true. <laughs> you know, it's a story that's going to like, cause harm and then turns another person into a monster and um, most of the time people aren't monsters unilaterally people are people and they're all the things they can be great or they can be awful um, and so how do we develop this ability to contemplate and reflect about how our fears are driving us. You know, is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of public speaking? Is it a fear of social situations? And how do we, how do we slowly work our way towards um, feeling safe and secure in our own bodies, you know? And this is different for everybody, depending upon like the specific acute examples of trauma like being in a car accident or sexual assault or long term you know like being neglected or not having food or growing up in a heavily policed part of town that is has racist policing policies you know how do we how do we navigate our lives um When some fears are real and some fears are, are not, you know, how do we how do we tell the difference? So, take a little break right here. Last time I wanted to uh, put a poem in. I think I wanted, I was looking for a flute. Um, but I couldn't find one, and I didn't get one today. So I'm gonna put a little pause in here. Maybe someday there will be advertising inserted. sure what I just put in but hope it was good fill that space maybe a little song maybe a little dance maybe a little poem um thank you so much for listening this is a 
crowdfunded, viewer-supported, listener-supported podcast. Just released the website. You can go over there, www.turningofthebones.com, or you can go to my Patreon page directly, www.patreon.com backslash turningofthebones. Yeah, you can give what you feel like giving. If you don't have anything to give, um, don't worry about it. Hopefully somebody else is paying it forward. And uh, I really like how Blind Boy puts it. He says, this is a model based on soundness. So being sound, I think, in, in Irish just means being like, you're like solid. It's like a... You're doing you're doing the right thing you're being a sound person and uh i think it's it's a nice idea that if you don't have it um to give please keep showing up if you're getting something from the podcast if you do you're supporting somebody who doesn't um price of a coffee glass of wine a beer a scone um whatever really helps because this is Right now I'm doing this about 20-ish hours a week. I have a couple other gigs, which I'm really, really happy about. Uh, Supporting an author and then also uh, working with adults with developmental disabilities, teaching about five classes a week there, just doing socialization for uh, people who are at, at home with the pandemic give them some social outlets and that's just amazing i can't even tell you how awesome that is but uh this is moving towards being my full-time gig so i put a lot of time and energy into it so anything you can uh afford i really appreciate thank you to all my patrons if you have any questions or any ideas or questions shoot me a message do that on facebook or patreon or instagram all turning up the bones yeah, let's uh let's keep moving with like what are just some pretty simple ways to work with fear. Um, when I was getting ready for this episode, I I did some research. I looked at some things in the uh, APA, the American Psychiatric Association. Um, yeah, and there's there's tons of stuff out there now. I mean, anywhere you look, you know, there's so much. The, the mindfulness revolution and the self-help revolution, I think, is a, a society we're increasingly becoming aware of things that are holding us back, things that are causing harm to others, whether it's the social movement, whether it's uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, I think there's a lot of energy right now being put towards healing and I think that's that's awesome. It's great. I want to get in there. I want to be a voice. If I'm the voice for you, then great. If not, I hope you find somebody that works for you. Because not all teach. If I learned one thing from teaching, not all teachers are for all students. You know, um, I think there's a saying in Buddhism: when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Um, but I think it also goes the other way, like, you know, uh, the students, the students, the students will come, you know, not all teachers were for me and I'm not all for, I'm not for all students. So 
Hope you get something from this podcast. Yeah, so how do we work with fears? Like, what have I done? Um, well, I have a pretty consistent mental health routine at this point. Um, I wake up and I follow a pretty strict routine out of bed because uh, the first hour or two of the day really kind of set the tone for my entire day. And if I'm giving that energy towards um, yeah, my mental health, my spiritual health, um, contemplation, reflection. If I'm if I'm given the beginning of my day some time, it just sets me up for success. I feel much more responsive and less reactive throughout the day. Um, if something does come up, if I do get escalated internally, I can usually take a break and kind of feel into what the root of things are. And so. I found a list. Um, it's a pretty good list. Might add some stuff to it as I go, but like, um, really, whatever works for you. Um, I just I hope that some piece of this might give you just just one thing, not all the things. Just just if I've learned if I've learned anything from my journey, it's just do one thing at a time. Uh, there's a great line in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it's like if you don't know the right thing to do, do the next thing right. Um, and that can include tying your shoes. Um, that can include brushing your teeth or taking a nap or making a sandwich. It doesn't have to be, you know, we can drop this whole American go, 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 do, 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 conquer, conquer, conquer. I must heal, must overcome. Like this is a journey. I think... <laughs> We're incredibly lucky to have human bodies to experience all the senses and wonders in the world and all the feelings and complex emotions. So just pick, if one thing works for you, that's great. Um, so one thing is like, it's just really basic. It's like risk analysis. Just look at the risk. Like what is the, what's the source? Like, um, you know, so often, especially in the news, you know, I learned during the pandemic about doom scrolling and how we get addicted to feeling bad from the news. And I think the news really preys on us. So like, what's the, what's the source of your fear? Like, is it, you know, Fox news is designed to scare people period. Um, it's, a uh, it's basically like an algorithm, <laughs> you know, they figured out how to manipulate people into voting out of fear um and so you can just like evaluate the risk like am i in danger you know like right now you know if i'm feeling anxious right now about um applying for a job and i'm like feeling all the responses i can ask myself like am i in danger right now and I can look around my room and say, you know, no, not right now. I'm not. I have water. I have food in the cupboards. Um, I have a house. You know, like I'm not, none of my basic needs are calling my attention. And if they are, then, you know, if your basic needs need your attention. If you need food, get food. If you need water, get water. If you need rest, get rest. Um, and I really feel like reminding yourself out loud Um which is socially unacceptable, which is stupid, 
but you can say I'm not in danger right now you know hearing it um, and you can also uh, yeah so just checking in like what's what's really going on in my immediate environment not in my head um, it's a really great way to work with anxiety um, if you need medical help please see a therapist you know if, if it's so bad and you're debilitated by panic attacks go see a therapist talk to a professional you know I'm not an expert this is just stuff that's worked for me um, part of what worked for me was going on medication for a time um, I think trying to work to have uh, positive people in your life and I'm not talking like faux positivity where it's like everything is just light and you know this is all such a blessing and like there's no reason to like just let it go it's like no I'm gonna feel scared and pain in a human body like I remember a story about a, a Zen master who had taught for years and was you know enlightened and when he was dying his son told a story about how afraid he got one night when he was being helped into a bathtub and it's like this it, it, it comes for all of us we're all animals and we get afraid and we need safe people around us we need people um, who can help us so if you need help learning how to trust people you can see a therapist um, you can do like an inventory like who are my friends who are the safest ones like I know I have friends that I don't talk about my emotions with it doesn't mean they're bad I just got lots of dudes in my life who I don't talk about some of my feelings with because they don't know how to deal with it right like they were assigned male at birth and they weren't taught and so I either go to a therapist or go to friends who were good emotional support um, who are good listeners who are good give good sound advice um, you can laugh together you can like you know can dance you can go for a walk you can play a game I feel like all of those things really help your brain right it helps you have the healthy neurochemicals and neurotransmitters you know it balances your brain out um, getting the hell off of the internet social media just not a good place most of the time I am a hundred percent happier if I'm not on social media during the day um, it's just real. It's designed. They're algorithms. They're designed to keep you clicking. There's clickbait. Uh, you can get into an echo chamber where all you hear is the stuff that all the people that you're friends with are afraid of. So just take a break. Get off the phone. <laughs> um, what was another one? Practice some safety habits self-care now this is a huge topic right now I'll probably do more about but uh put your seatbelt on in the car uh, brush your teeth um, wear a condom if you're out you know say practice safe sex uh, if you're walking at night maybe walk with somebody else if you're in a a, a part of town that doesn't feel you know I don't even like that one forget that we're gonna we're gonna take target um, yeah make sure you eat some breakfast have some food have you eaten um, 
Are you tired? Are you lonely? Are you angry? Like, take care of yourself. Uh, check in with your doctor. Check in with a therapist. Um, I'm going to put on the website or uh, in the show notes, I'll try to find some uh, sliding scale mental health providers and some resources. Um, you can do an inventory about like where the stress in your life come from, comes from. Is it from your marriage? Is it from your job? Is it from your family? Is it from your friends? And you can kind of like start to get an idea and contemplate like where am I putting my energy? You're just kind of doing like a it's like doing, you know, <laughs> you'll see the sign in the store, it's like closed closed for inventory, you know, or like, I'm sure there's been stuff in sitcoms about this, like, oh no, it's an inventory day. I remember when I worked in uh, retail in my 20s, like, everyone would be like, oh, it's inventory, right? Like, it's a, I think it's got a negative connotation, but doing an inventory is like one of the best uh, things you can do for your mental health like what's what's causing you stress what what causes you fear like write it down get it out of your brain and onto a page um, take a look at it and then see where you can like take one step to reduce a little bit of stress it's like if it's a family member maybe don't call them that week you know you don't have to it's okay um, if it's a if it's a store don't go find another store um if it's social media, take a break. Try to take a break. Um, yeah, and then the same thing. Like, you can, like, focus. You can do, like, journaling about all the ways you are safe. You know, for me, especially during the pandemic, when I was having panic attacks again, I just kind of write down, like, I have food for today. I have clean water to drink. I have a bed to sleep in. I have clothes to cover my body. And it was amazing how much that would help when I was really feeling kind of the collective fear, stuff we were all feeling, you know? Fear of the unknown, fear of an invisible virus, fear of insane political leadership in this country. Um, uh, afraid for... BIPOC people that I care about, you know, like I would, I would just be like, okay, like <laughs> if I'm so, if I'm having panic attacks, I need to like start at the bottom, you know, what are my, ba are my basic needs met? Cool. Okay. Well, what do I have the energy for after the pandemic, the panic attack? Well, maybe I could call a friend or maybe I could watch a TV show, but I focused on like how I was safe. Um, and sometimes, like, doing that for other people can also, like, really help with your own fears. If you help others who are having a hard time, you know? I think most every major religion in the world or spiritual modality or paradigm has in its top three to five values, like charity and doing nice things for other people and practicing for the benefit of all beings and... Uh, I know that that always helps. That, that helps me feel connected to others. I feel usually the most afraid when I'm alone um, because we're social animals and the pandemic has brought up so much isolation, fear for all of us. So like, how do you, how do you try to be around people 
zoom uh, like I said get a therapist talk to somebody getting them out not not hiding them there's nothing wrong with your fears they're beautiful they, they keep you safe they keep you alive um, and sometimes they, they limit you know so like you can like thank your fears like hey thanks you did a really great job getting me out of some sticky shit um, got me out of a really toxic relationship from the past appreciate it um, and just talk to someone it could be a friend as long as that friend isn't like just stoking the fire right like oh yeah that makes you know you should be afraid like there's a difference between validating how somebody feels and like um, kind of helping them spin their gears um, like I said write in a journal um, I think I mentioned before like working with a therapist to like slowly you can do you can like have corrective experiences you can you can slowly experience your fears and have them not be debilitating and you can do that with the help of others you know I wouldn't suggest doing that alone um, doing that in community with the support of a therapist um, but something you can't do alone which is great is just journal I feel a hundred times better when I'm really twisted in my britches if I write it down because then I get to kind of see, you know, I get out of my my brain stem, my fear centers in my brain. I get out of my animal brain and I get into my frontal lobe um, when I write in a journal. I can see where my fears don't make sense. Um, I can look at them and I can see, like, you know, you can assess, you can begin to contemplate reflect about like where is a place I can work on my fear because um, if you're a human you're probably going to feel this you know it's part of the part of the ride it's part of the part of the journey here and I really hope that helped I hope that gave you something to think about um I'd like to just wrap this up with just a moment to acknowledge that like your fears are valid you know like it's okay that you've been afraid it's okay if you are afraid right now you're not alone um, I know it can be terrifying try and find somebody safe to talk with take a walk Check your breath, check your heart rate, do some basic, have I eaten, you know, and uh, let's all keep walking each other home. We are communal, communal beings and we need one another. I hope this helped. I know that if you're listening, you probably have helped me and you don't even know it. So thank you uh, to all the people that have been with me in my life as my fears uh, you know 
directed my behaviors in unhealthy ways. I really appreciate your love and support. I'm so grateful for all of the grace I've been shown in my life, and I hope some of that grace can come to you. And I look forward to many more podcast episodes. Looking forward, so forward to having some guests on here, some friends who I have learned things from. I hope you will get some creative ways to work with fear because I think uh, getting out of our head and getting into our body is a really good way to uh, to work with fear. So until next time, blessings, peace, love, joy, and uh, deepest reverence for human, human life's lost, the black life's lost. Uh, let's get to work so we can heal. Loved you all. Turn it of the bones. Bye now. <laughs>